0: the cure for selfishness. Is anybody here selfish? No, we're not selfish. As parents, do you ever notice times when you feel like your kids are becoming selfish? Maybe they are wanting and constantly begging and needing and their room is full of toys or whatever it is, but they want more. Do you ever notice that in your children, parents? My wife grew up in Africa the first nine years and she remembers when her parents noticed that little characteristic starting to crop up, they would gather some of the toys they didn't play with very often and would go give them away to people in town that had very little. And so when we got the opportunity to go to Meru, Kenya with some of you that are here, the idea was to do the very same. And so I don't have sound on this, Uh, you don't really need it, but here we are at uh, one of the boarding schools, this is an elementary boarding school, so these are little kids, all they have is a tiny chest, and everything they have is in that chest, I'm trying to remember if they even split the, excuse me, split the chest with somebody else, but we got permission to go in with some of these stuffed animals, and so Elizabeth is there with a bag handing out some of our kids' toys and stuffed animals, and so each one, we had to have one for each of these young people to put on their chest so when they came, they received and had something fun uh, there to, to, be, to enjoy. And I don't know if you can see, it's not too big, but the smiles on these kids' faces and on our kids' faces as they're handing out and giving away. I mean, these stuffed animals were at home before and they were sad. Can stuffed animals be sad? These were sad. They had no one to play with them. They were just in this pile or in the corner and they they weren't getting loving. And now all of these, I promise you, have gotten a lot of loving. Truly it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a joy that comes in giving that I think is beautiful. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is evil. What does it say? The love of money. You know, the love of money is one of the clearest manifestations of selfishness. Isn't it true? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, For men will be, and this is describing people in the last days, Lovers of themselves, selfishness. Lovers of money, first two listed. Do we live in a time when people are in love with themselves? That they're in love with things? You know, I'm just going to put out there, there is a myth that many have bought into, and that is the simple idea that stuff, that things, that money equals happiness, and it's not true. In fact, there are plenty of examples where the inverse is true. And you've been tempted, I have too. You know, if we just had a car that was more reliable, if we just had a, you know, a this or a that to enjoy, and so on and so forth, then we'd be happy. But it's a myth. Happiness does not come from what you have. If you've been on a mission trip, you know you have seen people that have essentially nothing. And they have more joy on their face than these Americans that have everything. Is it true? So it's a myth. Evangelism 633 says, Selfishness is the root of all evil. Selfishness. Steps to Christ, page 43. The the, the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. And so what's the answer? I think, Certainly part of the answer is in giving. This is from Christian service. Uh, Oh, this is not where I wanted it to go. I wanted to come back to that one later. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Philippians chapter two, verse three. By giving of our time and our resources, we help put at bay this idea of selfishness. Matthew six twenty one: for where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. All I have to do is look at your credit card statement or your checkbook or, or whatever it is, and I can tell very quickly what is important and of value to you. Councils on Stewardship says this, the Lord places in our hands his gifts in order that we shall divide with those who are needy And it is the practice, and it is this practical giving that will be to us a sure panacea or solution, or we could say cure or remedy for all selfishness. If we're selfish, we need to give, not less, but more. But that works against, well, Exactly, against my selfishness. Can I just give this much? Is this okay? Can I give the least? Can I just hold back more? Why? Because I want to do this and I want to do that. I'm saving for this, that, and the. I want to be comfortable. And here we're told that the solution, the cure, the remedy for selfishness is in giving. Yes, giving is the cure for selfishness. I find it interesting, as Adventists, we believe in the three angels' messages, yes? Of Revelation chapter 14. And at the heart of this message is a people keeping the seventh day Sabbath. And we know that when we talk about prophecy and end times that the Sabbath is part of this thing, certainly we know from Revelation chapter 13 that there's going to be a, a national Sunday law and that ultimately it will lead to a death decree. We've preached that many times before. And so really the idea is are you going to follow God and keep the Ten Commandments or are you going to compromise and follow man for self-preservation, But here's the question I want to ask of my Seventh-day Adventist audience. If we believe there is a time that is coming when we would rather die than break one of God's commandments, what about today? Today are we breaking one of the 10 commandments and thinking it's a light thing that doesn't so much matter? Is there stealing in the church that's taking place today? What is one of the commandments that we have here? The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. But pastor, how are we stealing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Malachi 3 verse 8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. That's very serious. But you say, in what ways have we robbed you? And the response, in tithes and offerings. Sometimes we think, well, if I just check the tithe box, I'm good. But this verse says quite To the contrary, I don't have to check just the tithe box, but God wants me to return offerings as well. Why? Because he knows it's a cure for my selfishness. He knows I need to give. That's where I wanted this quote that was quite a ways back. I'm not sure I'm going to go back, but she says, it's a very solemn thing that I have to tell you. It's in councils. So don't on stewardship? Anyway, I could find it. Christian service. It's in Christian service, page 41. It's a very solemn thing I have to tell you. And that is not one in 20 is prepared and will be ready, just because their names are on the church books, that when Jesus comes, they will be found not ready and will not be going to heaven. And so we have this idea, if my name is on the church books, if I return tithe, but you know, the offerings, I'm not such a big, I'll put a few one dollar bills in the offering plate when it comes by, but I have a lot of things that I need to do. And could it be that's the petri dish that fosters the selfishness, the self-preservation, the me first attitude that ultimately could lead to my destruction. Perhaps this is more serious than we thought. Percent of active, this is the Seventh-day Adventist members who return ter, excuse me, return tithe by age. And you'll notice there, uh, 20 to 29, they're having a harder time letting it go. Uh, my category here, I don't like to say it's my category, but anyway, Only 65% return tithe. You get to the 80 plus, now they finally got it figured out. But what are we afraid of? Oftentimes I hear people say, well, I don't have it. How does that really work, that you don't have it? I know you have it. And that's essentially the problem, is you have it. And you're not returning it. Well, I can't afford to. I was listening this week on Audioverse. An individual was sharing their own testimony. He said, my parents were were immigrants. When we came to this country, things were extremely tight. Both of my parents were working multiple jobs. We were living out of this tiny little apartment. I mean, we were so uh, challenged financially. He just simply admitted our family did not return tithe. We just didn't feel like we could do it. And then over time, we started studying more and more and were convicted, we have to return tithe and give offerings. We just have to do it. And so even though everything, every month came down to like the penny, they said okay, now we're gonna give this 10% and we're gonna give offerings. And he gave testimony to what happened. Almost immediately, his dad got a raise. Praise the Lord. And then something else happened. He says the person we are renting from came to our house, and the lady said, Here's what I want to do I want to lower your rent. Has anybody here ever had that happen? I have never had that happen. The lady said, we want to lower your rent. And from then on, their parents were convinced and they instilled it in their children, you must return tithes and offerings. We don't want to withhold from God. Here's another NID tithe per member. This is only going through 2014, but it gives you an idea uh, what it is and what it should be. The should be is on top, And what it is is on the bottom. Now, it could be that from 2014 to 2023, that line just spikes right up and it's where it ought to be. But I would be surprised. I wonder, too, where the church would be in terms of ministry and spreading the gospel if it was fully funded. I don't know. Continuing on, what is tithe? I think this is probably pretty basic. The word itself literally means 10%. Leviticus 27:32 says, and concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the 10th one shall be holy to the Lord. So tithe is a 10th of one's increase, of one's profit. And let me ask, who is it holy to? Is it holy to the conference or holy to the pastor? No, it's holy to the Lord. Some like to say it's linked to the Old Testament sanctuary that is no longer binding today and we could have taken time to look at how Abraham returned tithes to Melchizedek before there was a sanctuary. We could look at New Testament passages. But I'm just gonna assume you've done that study. Tithe was from the beginning and continues on. It's something that we are to do to remind us who's in charge, and really, who owns everything. We are simply stewards, if you will, managers of things that are not ours. So it's not my house, it's not my car, it's not even my groceries. They're all God's, and He allows me to manage it, and I want to manage it in a way that honors Him, and that 10% is a reminder each and every month when you write the check, and it's a sizable check, and you say, I could do a lot of things with those. It's a reminder to me, to you, to us, who's in control, who's the owner of all things. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And then I love this. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness, says God. Yes, stewardship is recognizing that God owns everything. Here's a question I sometimes get. Should I tithe on the gross or the net? The net would be what comes in your paycheck after Uncle Sam takes his piece, right? Well, Psalms chapter three, verse nine and 10, I think is clear. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's a promise there. But the first fruits principle is that you pay God first, not Uncle Sam first. Does that make sense? We should pay God first. There was a committee that was set up in the 80s that studied a lot of stewardship and and tithing and so on and they came up with some principles and guidelines. There on page 22 it says, tithes should be computed on the gross amount of a wage or salary earners income before legally required or other employee authorized deductions. This includes federal and state income taxes which provide for services and other benefits of responsible citizens. That's another thing you say, oh I don't even see that, it just gets sucked out of my paycheck. Well you do see that when the pothole finally gets filled 20 years later. When 26 for the last forever has been in construction, at some point by faith I believe we will enjoy that. We're starting to enjoy pieces of it. When your house is on fire and the fireman comes, when the policeman is there, when you call, all of these things are benefits to you and to me as citizens of this nation. And so to return on the gross is what God would have us to do. Let's keep going. Some of our country's greatest business leaders have put God's plan of tithing to the test. See if you recognize any of these. William Colgate, Billion of Colgate and Palmolive Company. Did you know he eventually returned not just the, the 10 and some offerings, he eventually returned 90% of all of his income to the Lord. John D. Rockefeller, have you ever heard of him? Founder of Standard Oil Company, the first billionaire. He was a believer in the tithe principle. Henry John Hines, 57 varieties of pickles and ketchup. He too returned a faithful tithe. John, uh, James Cash Penny, better known as J.C. Penny, returned a faithful tithe. Henry P-, P. Crowell, founder of Quaker Oats Company. James L. Kraft from Kraft Cheese Company. He would give 25% was his standard practice. Milton S. Hershey, founder of the world's largest chocolate factory. Anthony Rossi, founder of Tropicana, and then, of course, O.D. McKee, founder of Little Debbie Snack Cakes. All of these individuals returned a faithful tithe, and I believe the Lord blessed them for that. Now, as far as their kids and grandkids and where the company has gone, I don't know. But it's interesting to note that these individuals gave back, returned their tithe to God, and I believe God blessed them. How about this? Can I give my tithe to any ministry? Can I just find something that I feel like is worthwhile and donate? Malachi 3.10, it says, bring all the tithes where? Does it say a storehouse? It says the storehouse, doesn't it? That there may be food in my house. Friends, the storehouse today is the church. And so for Seventh-day Adventists, this is one of the primary reasons of church organization. And so when we return tithe, that goes to our pastors and missionaries, our Bible teachers to cover their salary, essentially to fund the three angels' message going around the world. Some people say, well, I'm into mission. When you return your tithe, you are supporting the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, <clears throat> Numbers 18, 21, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, I love how this is set up in Scripture and the 7th Adventist Church, where in many places, even today, the size of the church determines the size of the pastor's paycheck. That's not how we function in the Adventist Church. We've never functioned that way. The larger churches oftentimes will help fund the smaller churches and the larger divisions help the, the divisions that are in greater need and so it kind of evens everything out and that, be, that comes as a blessing because I don't have to worry about what I preach based on my biggest giver or, or person that donates or returns tithes and offerings. I can preach freely because my paycheck is not directly linked to whether or not they stop giving uh, and so I think that's another beautiful part of um, how we, we work here in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I think it's a biblical idea. Uh, here are some ministries that are some, some good ministries. We call them self-supporting ministries. I didn't know they were all going to come one by one. Isn't that fun? Now I have to try and guess which is the last one, or we're going to go to the, the next slide. There are probably an estimated 800 independent or supporting ministries of Seventh-day Adventist Church. And believe me, they have their place. I've supported many of these myself, but I have to say never with tithe dollars. Well, why not? They're doing a good work. And many of them are preaching the three angels message. Well, that's true, but the gospel ministry consists more than proclamation of the gospel in one form of communication. It is essentially the local pastor who can counsel with you, pray with you, visit you, study the Bible with you, encourage you, perform baptisms, anointings, weddings, funerals. You get the idea. None of these ministries, as much of a blessing as they are, can do that. They are not the storehouse. They're not the church. They're a supporting ministry of the church. And so I was talking to the president of Audioverse just this week, and he says, occasionally we'll get a check that will be a nice, sizable check, and it will say tithe on it. And he says, we have to return it and say, we don't accept tithe as a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so the answer, in short, is that no, we don't just give our tithe dollars to wherever we choose. It needs to go to the storehouse, to God's church. Here's another graph. Percentage of Adventists who gave tithe to various causes. Some just give it to local church budget. Well, if I don't put my tithe on it, they'll never know. Perhaps. And that is a benefit to this local church, I suppose, but that's not what God asked us to do. And the tithe is holy to who? The Lord. So we need to return it to the storehouse, and then our giving is what supports the local uh, church that we are a part of. So when I return my tithe, where does it go? Well, this is a a simplified breakdown. 65% stays in a local conference, so here it would stay in the Carolina Conference. Uh, 12% covers retirement 9 stays at the union 14% to the general conference so that's a fair percentage that still goes around the globe to pastors, missionaries, Bible teachers in foreign fields by your giving right here in the Hendersonville church and so for those of you who say I support missions you do that every time you return your tithe and that is a a beautiful thing Um, I'm just going to keep rolling here what about when the conference is doing things I don't agree with? Anybody here ever asked that question? I'm going to withhold my tithe. I'm going to send it directly to the GC. They'll do the same thing. They'll return it back to you and say, please give it to your local church. My father-in-law has a letter that goes back with, with some of those things. Um, I want you to think about this idea. Luke chapter 21. It says, he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, the church of that time, which I think we all would agree was very crooked in the time of Jesus, don't you, wouldn't you agree? And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had now there's a beautiful principle there you know giving the cream off the top versus sacrificially giving to god's cause and again i would add this caveat if we truly believe we're living at the end times shouldn't god's work be fully funded Shouldn't it? If if we think everything is going to burn any minute now, then shouldn't we be putting our money where this message can go around the globe? And not only that, but supporting our local church that is doing, I mean, there's nobody else in this community. Yes, there's Fletcher and other churches, but Hendersonville, we've been planted here specifically to minister to this community. And that doesn't fall on anybody else. Nobody else is supposed to do that. We are called to do that okay so back to this poor widow that gives and sacrifices so much Uh, beautiful and Jesus commends her for her sacrifice her sacrificial giving but here's the question I want to ask which storehouse did she put that money the same, same storehouse that was plotting to kill Jesus. Is it true? The same storehouse that would later pay 30 pieces of silver to a man named Judas who would later betray Christ. And so in this story, Jesus says, that widow, she's also to blame. Is that what he says? No, he says, what a beautiful thing she has done. There's an element of this that I return it to the Lord and I allow the Lord to take care of his own. Even if there are some things. Now, if there are some things that perhaps you could speak up about in the right way and we have some counsel on that. Volume nine of the Testimonies, 249. It says, some have been dissatisfied and have said, I will no longer pay my tithe for I have no confidence in the way things are managed at the heart of the work. But she asks this, but will you rob God because you think the management of the work is not right? She says, make your complaint plainly and openly in the right spirit, don't miss that part, to the proper ones. Send in your petitions for things to be adjusted and set in order. But she doesn't say and wait until they are, she says, but do not withdraw from the work of God and prove unfaithful yourselves because others are not doing right. Essentially, two wrongs don't make a right. You continue to return because God has asked you to do that. Okay, so what's the difference between tithes and offerings? Uh, Ed Reed says it this way, offerings are about generosity and uh, uh, gratitude. I don't know how that happened tithing is a matter of honesty here's another one from Charles Spurgeon give as you love and measure your love by your gift don't you like that this is another individual a tithe I tithe because God is God I give offerings because God is good and who said that our former pastor pastor Brian <laughs> you know I'm, I'm quoting the best here you can tell him later Psalms 96 verse 8 says, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. You know, we were talking in our Sabbath school class and reading some powerful quotations and verses of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. I mean, it's overwhelming. He gave His all, 100%. He gave Everything. And somehow when he asked me for a percentage, while I keep the majority, we think it's too much. No, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Deuteronomy 16, 17, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. Psalms 116, verse 12, when the Lord blesses us, our thankful hearts lead us to ask, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Has God blessed you? He most certainly has. Councils on Stewardship, page 80, gives us this advice. This matter of giving is not left to impulse. God has given us uh, definite instruction in regard to do it. He has specified tithes and offerings as the measure of our obligation, and He desires us to give regularly and systematically. Let each regularly examine his income, which is all a blessing from God, and set apart the tithe as a separate fund to be uh, be sacredly the Lord's. This fund should not in any case be devoted to any other use. It is to be devoted solely to support the ministry of the gospel. And then she goes on, after the tithe is is set apart, let gifts and offerings be apportioned as God hath prospered you. So it's not to be of impulse, we see that in this quotation, but this idea of apportion, systematic in our giving. I really believe she's talking about setting aside a percent. That would only make sense. If the Lord has blessed you a lot, then that percent is going to be more. If it's a month that you're tight, that percent, uh, you know, the amount of the percent will be less, but the percent's going to be the same. And so I would challenge you to think about what are we doing? Are we systematic in our giving? Are we remembering the work of God, not just in our tithes, but in our offerings? And is perhaps God asking you or me to increase our percentage. I think of that verse, it's in here someplace. I'm not sure if it's the next one or another one. No, it's the next, it will come to it in a minute, but, but when I discovered it years ago, it challenged me because Paul says we increase in our faith and increase in this, increase in that, also increase in your giving. Giving requires faith. Giving requires selflessness. So when's the last time you increased it? I know Elizabeth and I just looked at this recently and we said we're gonna increase it by a percent. The church is struggling. I share with you uh, Last week, I'm getting ahead of myself again, but when our giving went down, percentage-wise of our church budget in relationship to our our tithe, it went down by half of a percent. And that difference felt in this church was $66,000. If we put that half a percent back, we would get $66,000. If we put a whole percent more, which would just kill most of us, right? Because on average, that would be $50 more a month have mercy. How could we eat? How could we survive? I mean, you can go out to eat, and it's, boom, 50 bucks, gone. If you just fast once a month, be better for your health, better for your mental state, and better for the church. I hear other people say, well, pastor, it's just not there. We don't have it okay let's scroll over here to Facebook Donnie you want to put Facebook on the screen for me I'll just scroll down to all these oh church members that don't have it wow they have that and they have oh they got a new oh they're going oh they have some stuff don't have it we're living in the last days nothing we can do but wait till Jesus comes I think there's more that we can do Give systematically. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Some like to say, oh, this is Paul on a Sunday service. No, it's not. He's saying at the beginning of the week, I want you to lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And so beginning of each week, lay things aside, because if you wait until the end of the week and say, well, we'll see what's left, I promise you there'll be nothing left. Right? But if you get put it aside first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Again, this principle of first fruits. So here's a tithe envelope, uh, and you put your information at the top, and then you have your tithe, 10%, local church budget, you can put that there, building fund, church expense, all of these things. But most all of these things, if you give to tithe and church budget, are funded percentage based on the local church and who needs what and and everything gets its place everything gets its allowance but right now we're in a bit of a crunch of our local church budget and I'll share with you a minute our tithe has increased but our local church giving has only decreased Here are some of the slides I showed with you last week the green is our five-year average for these uh, first what is that six months of the year and the blue is this year and so we're slightly above in January and in April but the other months were down and when you really put all those numbers together our year-to-date shortfall is $28,000 that's a lot of money I remember when I first came really enjoying going to finance committee because every so often we would vote to be able to do something that was really cool And I couldn't wait for it to happen and the church would be excited to see it happen and we'll be able to do this and that. And wow, I have to tell you, recently in the last few years, church or finance committee has not been so fun. That's a good idea. How are we gonna fund it? Oh. And then those dreaded words I don't like. We'll just have to table it for now. Some great ideas. I shared with you last week that we need more space, these school rooms, we need to take those walls out. We would do it if we had the funding. We need more chairs up in the fellowship hall. Those things are so tired and, and can I say, nasty? That's a southern word. We need to get new chairs. Priced it out. We're going to have to table it for now. So many other things that we'd love to do. And if we all would just give half a percent more, or could I even suggest a percent or two, Some of you are in a position you could easily give $100 more a month, $150 more a month. And then you could see certain things happen. I think it would be very rewarding. Anyway, we'll continue on. This is the global tithe trends. I should put that up on the screen last week. Um, But it's interesting how in 1922, most of our people gave pretty close to a double tithe. They gave almost the same amount in offerings as they did in tithe. And look at how different that number is in 2018. Interesting. So since 2010, we just pulled that number out randomly. The tithe has increased in this church by 147%, but our church budget compared to 2010 has decreased by 5%. That kind of flies in the face if we don't have it, right? We have it, we just like having it, and we're just going to keep it. Um, What does that say about ourselves? Um, I've already talked about this we'll, we'll keep rolling uh, what could we do with some of those things uh, there's a lot of fun things that we could do another thing that I love about this church though and I largely think this is somewhat on education and just a, a gentle I, I, I really want this not to be a guilt trip but a gentle reminder to all of us of why we're here and what the potential is and what we could do and what we'd like to do especially in light of the times that we're living And when this church decides to do something, you all are incredible, truly. I remember not that long ago, uh, a couple months ago, 11th Hour was gonna be here, and I got word through the grapevine that 11th Hour didn't like to come to Hendersonville because we don't have enough food at our potluck. Oh. So I told Pastor Harper about it, and, and he sent out an email about it. We had more food in our fellowship hall than I've ever seen in my entire life. I went around telling all these high school students, is that all you can eat? Go get another two, three plates. Take it back to the dorm. Do whatever you need to do. We got to get rid of all this food. That's Hendersonville. Hendersonville. That's what you guys can do. That's what you're capable of doing. Here's another thing. In four years, from 2016 to 2020, this church gave 1.4 million, not quite, but close to $1.4 million. And that was for the new bathrooms, fellowship hall, entryway, a few other things around the edges. In four years. uh, I didn't put that down here. That's an average of, I think, $338,000 extra a year. I remember when we did that campaign, I remember what, Our increase was going to be every month, but we decided by by prayer we're gonna do this thing, and it was significant to our budget. I don't know if we can do this, but we did it one month, the second month, the third month, the fourth month. The Lord continued to bless. Until I showed those pictures of Africa. My wife always wanted to go to Africa because she grew up there. She wanted our kids to see it. And I said, that's a nice idea, honey. That's a pipe dream. It's never gonna happen. Have you looked at tickets and have you looked at this and have you looked at that? And the Maranatha called and they said, Well, we'll pray about it. We'll see. We don't know. And, uh, you know, do you give any discounts for being the chaplain for the group? No, we don't. You're just you're on your own. So we were about to, to just chuck it all in. And then the Lord provided a way where somebody just said, We're going to cover it for you. Blew us away. Now, if I, I can calculate exactly, I just did it this week what our pledge was over those three years and we returned all of that or gave all of that and this Maranatha trip for our family to go and have this experience was above that. I think that's God just showing out. Saying I own everything, it's not even a big deal. He says I don't even need your money that you think you just can't survive without. He says I'm fine, it's really not about the money. David's about your heart. It's about your your, your your faith. Are you willing to trust me with something as practical and basic and personal as your money? And when we say yes to that, he likes to show out. This is what our kitchen used to look like. Can you tell a difference? And I remember people saying, "It's pastor. It's fine." You know, it's true. We had hot water as everyone knew. Yep, and we had some ovens and, and you know, yellow is a great color. The sun is yellow. <laughs> Do you like what we have now better? And it always blows me away how we'll remodel our houses four or five times before we remodel the house of God. What does that say? And that we do on our own. That's Elizabeth and I. Here we're talking about hundreds of people pulling together to do something to honor our God. I mean, if you study what the sanctuary looked like in the Old Testament, it had a little bit more, it was a little more showy than this one. And I'm not trying to put down this one, and I love this church but does it fully represent the God that we serve? The priority that he is in our life? I mean, I could tell you about these pews. Some of them are steel enforced. I won't tell you which ones because one of you might be seeing it now. There are pews that have tape along the front because the fabric is tired and wearing out. I think it's time that we do some other things. And if we just all gave sacrificially a little bit more, I think we certainly could do it. I love this verse, Nexus 36, 6 and 7. It says, the people were restrained. First, there was a call that they could build a sanctuary. And it says, the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. I can't wait Until I can stand up here and say, please stop giving. We have no room for your gifts. We have everything that we need. In fact, we have a list here of other places that need it. Can you give it here instead? And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing too? I've heard of other churches that had a surplus in their accounts Uh, It was actually up in the Potomac Conference, and they gave a church in the Georgia Cumberland Conference something like $150,000 for a building project. What's wrong with that? That's a beautiful thing. Makes me talk high. (laughs) Is it really about the money? Matthew 6 21 again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? How about this verse in Mark 4, 18 and 19? Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Every time I study that parable, That's the one, if I'm honest with myself, that says, ooh, that hurts. I find myself there too much. Stuff, things, new and improved. There's a new model. Keeping up with the Joneses. One look good. Safety first. Here's a quotation that also gives me pause. Uh, It's a vision that Ellen White had, and this is basically the devil's committee meeting, if you will, and this is Satan talking. It says, go make the possessors of lands and money drunk with the cares of this life. Present the world before them in its most attractive light, that they may lay up their treasure here and fix their affections upon earthly things." We must do our utmost to prevent those who labor in God's cause from obtaining means to use against us. So what does he say? Keep the money in our own ranks. Don't have them put it in the offering plate. Tell them to go to the theater and watch this Barbie movie that's full of all kinds of things that are part of our agenda. Don't get me started on that one. Ken hitting on a transgender... That has a deeper voice than he does. It's in the film. All the kins are, are portrayed as being, well, homosexual. It's in the film. How this whole idea of the marriage as God intended it to be is thrown down and trampled on? It's there in the film and it's all marketed for daughters with their eight, or, or, or mothers with their eight-year-old daughters, and we're just going to, oh, Pastor, come on, it's just a movie, it's just for fun. Do you think so? There's an agenda. Keep the money in our own ranks. The more means they obtain, the more they will injure our kingdom by taking from us our subjects. Make them care more for money than for the upbuilding of Christ's kingdom and the spread of the truth we hate. We and we need not fear their influence for we know that every selfish, covetous person will fall under our power and will, will finally be separated from God's people. Coming back to that idea, not one in 20. Here on the books. But my heart is selfish, covetous. I want, me, me, me. Does our church really need the money? Here's another verse. I'm almost done. Haggai chapter 1. Select verses I've taken from there. This is beginning verse 2. This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Lord's house is fine. Thank you very much. What we have is sufficient. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Whose house should look better, yours or God's? You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. We just keep trying and trying and trying to make ends meet. As soon as they do, we'll return a faithful tithe and offering. God's saying it doesn't work that way. You're not being blessed because you're not trusting in faith. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Ouch. So the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And this verse, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. I struck you with a blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it from this day. I will bless you. I was talking to somebody just this last week no it wasn't this last week it was a couple weeks ago but just recently and I was asking them if they would be willing to put up $5,000 as part of this matching fund and they said pastor I don't know I'll pray about it that's fine pray about it you let me know a week or so passes I'm not sure how long maybe two they call me up pastor you gotta come over okay not sure what it's about but I come over I sit down I'm there in their living room They'll say, they start, say, you'll never believe it. I have to tell you this story. Okay, tell me the story. They said, you asked for 5000 yes. said, so, so I called my financial advisor and I started asking questions about this and about that and interest rates and where my money is. And before long, they started blushing, essentially, over the phone, I don't know, but anyway, we're saying, oh, we should have moved this, we should have done that, you should be making money here that you're not, and so on and so forth. By the time it was all done, I believe in the next six months, they're gonna be making $7,000, where if they just would have sat and done nothing, all of that would have been for naught. And so he said, Pastor, I'm going to write you this check for five thousand, and the Lord has been so great, He's given me two on top. Amen. I said, Wow. And I said, and share that with the church. Amen. I'm not going to tell you who it is. They don't want me to tell you who it is. But that just happened like a month ago. Amen. God is good. but since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge in complete earnestness and in love we have kindled to you see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Malachi 3.8 Will a man rob God yet you have robbed me but you say in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even the, this whole nation and then the challenge, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be a room enough to receive it. It's a very interesting verse in scripture. We don't have anything quite like it where God says, test me, try me. Just do this thing that seems counterintuitive. This is never going to work, and God says, try it. Try it. And see if I will not bless you, that you won't even be be able to receive it. You'll have to have conversations with your spouse and say, wow, look at what happened. We were under this much, and then this thing happened, and then that thing happened, and the other thing happened. And it builds your faith. goes on says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field says the Lord of hosts and all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. I don't know, your tires may last longer. Maybe the transmission won't go out that would have. Maybe the air conditioning unit is gonna last another 10 years. I don't know. God has a way of doing it. You might say, well, my air conditioner just went out and I have been giving. Well, I imagine God's gonna supply what you need. But when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added. So the church of 2024, Hendersonville, here, now, may we be found faithful in our giving. Not just of our tithes, but of our offerings. To prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you have me to do, us to do, as a family to do? So that this critical hour, on the knife edge of eternity, your church is well-funded. Because we realize that nothing else is more important or of greater value than this message going around the world. That's my challenge for you today and for myself. And may the Lord bless us as we follow his directive.